You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Yes, I've seen the headlines. I appreciate all of you sending me the links to headlines like Santorum Surges from Behind, which ran uh, in a Philadelphia newspaper, and uh, Santorum Comes from Behind, which ran on a Catholic uh, newspaper's website. And, and I have appreciated them. Of course, I've appreciated them along with everyone else. You know, the only sort of silver or tawny or beige lining in the Santorum victory last week, of course, is – the unintended and often intended humor. I think when the New York Times described Santorum as being in the mix in a headline on the cover of the New York Times this week, they were winking at us. And I think when the uh, reporter at CNBC in a uh, report about Santorum's house, about all the GOP presidential candidates, their, their homes, described a frothy controversy about where Santorum actually lived during the 2006 election that he lost by 18 points to Bob Casey – that she was winking at us. Uh, but it is the silver lining. We've all gotten to enjoy the laughs uh, and the un- un- intentional or unintentional references to the new definition. We're not so new. It's been like eight years now. This, this isn't a new definition. It is just a definition of Santorum. Of course, the frothy mix of lube and fecal matter that is sometimes the byproduct of anal sex. I put an emphasis on the word sometimes because that's a word that people tend to overlook. If you're doing anal sex right, there is no lowercase Santorum. If you're doing it right, there's no uppercase Santorum. There's no Santorum at all. No Santorum involved. No Santorums invited. And speaking of Santorums, plural. I know this is going to be perceived a little unfair, but I'm going to chat with, discuss, go after one of Santorum's children, Elizabeth Santorum. I think this is fair game because Elizabeth Santorum is uh, giving speeches on behalf of her father. She is a campaign strategist for him, works for him and has been out there in Iowa, obviously successfully out there in Iowa, uh, beating the bushes for her father all this year. Uh, she was interviewed in the Huff- by the Huffington Post, profiled by the Huffington Post last week. Not so much interviewed, profiled by Elise Foley, writing for the Huffington Post, story headlined, Rick Santorum saves cash, gains a surrogate by turning to daughter. It's all about how she's out there on the campaign trail, working for her father, giving speeches for him, whipping up crowds. And uh, Elise Foley writes, it is tough, after all, being a young surrogate for a candidate father clinging to an older worldview. Her her father's stance on same-sex marriage and gay rights in particular has caused some friction from non-supporters. It's a policy thing, Elizabeth Santorum says. He thinks it's the right thing for America and the foundations of our country, she said of gay marriage. Opposed to same-sex marriage herself, Elizabeth said she has gay friends who support her father's candidacy because of his economic and family platforms. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's really tough out there for the homophobes, isn't it? It's really tough. You know what else is tough? Losing your home after the death of your same-sex spouse because your marriage isn't recognized by the federal government. Seeing your husband deported because your marriage isn't recognized by the federal government. Being barred from your partner of 13 years' bedside while she dies in a hospital in Miami. You and your children barred from your partner's bedside. As she lays dying of a brain aneurysm. Because the hospital doesn't recognize gay marriage, which happened to Janice Langben as her partner Lisa Pond lay dying in a hospital in Miami in 2007. That's fucking tough too. And that's what happens in a country where marriage equality is not recognized. That kind of tough shit. It's tougher for gay people who do not have access to the rights, protections, responsibilities and privileges of marriage than it is for poor, dear, sweet Elizabeth Santorum, who just has to listen to people tell her that her father's bigotry is, in fact, bigotry. But what really interests me about the HuffPo interview is Elizabeth's claim that she has gay friends. Elizabeth Santorum, you can follow her at Twitter, at esantorum2012. She has gay friends, just like her father and Rick Warren and Joel 
Osteen and Donny Osmond and Sarah Palin. It seems that all the high-profile homophobes in America have gay friends these days. Or they claim to. No one has ever met and no reporter has ever asked to verify the existence of one of Rick Santorum or Elizabeth Santorum's gay friends. Now, political reporters, I'm talking to you. I know some of you listen. Stop accepting homophobes' claims of gay friendship at face value. Elizabeth Santorum says she has gay friends who support her dad based on his family platform. That is an astonishing assertion. Who are these gay people who support Rick Santorum for president despite his having compared sex between consenting adults of the same gender to child rape and dog fucking? Who are these gay people who support Rick Santorum despite his having asserted that gay relationships are a threat to homeland security? These gay people who support Rick Santorum for president despite his opposition not just to gay marriage but to any legal recognition of same-sex relationships at all. Who are these gay people? Who support Rick Santorum for president despite his promise to write anti-gay bigotry into the U.S. Constitution, his promise last week to forcibly divorce every legally married same-sex couple in the United States, and also to reinstate don't ask, don't tell. Who are these gay people? Where are these faggots? I want to meet them. I want to know their names. Political reporters, when someone like Elizabeth Santorum or Rick Warren or Rick Santorum says, I have gay friends and they support my dad because they agree with him about family issues, that would be her dad's opposition to gay people having families of their own. Your immediate response should be a request for the names and phone numbers of some of these gay friends and supporters of Rick Santorum's. That's a claim that requires some checking out before you put it into print. You can reassure Elizabeth if you want that you'll quote her friends anonymously and on background to protect them from potty-mouthed gay bloggers and podcasters. But you should tell her that you're going to need to verify the existence of these gay friends of her father's and hers because you're a journalist and not a stenographer. And if you do that, you're either going to catch Rick Santorum in a very revealing lie. What does it tell us about this moment in the struggle for LGBT equality that even homophobes like Elizabeth and her dad perceive a political risk in being perceived as homophobic? So you're either going to catch them in a revealing lie or you're going to land a fascinating fucking interview with a gay supporter of Rick fucking Santorum. Either way, journalist, you win. And finally, returning to uh, – the HuffPo interview with Elizabeth Santorum. She is aware of her father's so-called Google problem, part of a campaign by columnist Dan Savage to redefine the candidate's last name after he compared same-sex relationships to dog fucking and child rape. Savage and his perverted sense of humor is the reason why my children cannot Google their father's name, Rick Santorum wrote in a letter to his supporters earlier this year. Then quoting Elizabeth, that just makes me sad. It's disappointing that people can be so mean, she said. I'm sorry I gave Elizabeth Santorum a sad. You know what gives me a sad? Thinking about Janice being barred from her lover, her partner, her wife, as her wife lay dying in another room in that hospital because of people who agree with Elizabeth Santorum and Rick Santorum about marriage. That fucking makes me sad. And Lisa Pond wasn't a policy thing as Elizabeth Santorum would describe her. She was a human being who died alone. In a hospital bed with her children and partner barred from her room by bigots who agree with Elizabeth and Rick Santorum. That makes me sad. And you know what, Elizabeth? Making a dirty joke at the expense of a politically powerful figure like your father is a whole lot less mean than barring a woman from her lover, her wife's bedside as she lay dying in a hospital. Anyway, Elizabeth, maybe I'm being a little hard on you. Maybe, like a lot of young people, you're still just 20. You're young. You're out there campaigning for your dad, America's highest profile, frothing anti-gay bigot. Maybe you don't agree with him, but right now politically, you're deferring to your dad's position on this and telling him and his supporters what you think they want to hear. You're not going to pull a Megan McCain and come out for marriage equality. Not yet. Uh, so I'm going to cut you some slack. I'm going to assume that like most young people, you're actually for equality. Uh, but right now you can't risk 
publicly coming out for equality, much like the president of the United States, who I believe is for marriage equality and yet not publicly for it at this time. So I'm going to cut you a little slack. Maybe I'll meet you out on the campaign trail because if your father continues to surge, if Santorum continues to wash over this great country of ours, a great tsunami of Santorum, a rising tide of Santorum, I will have to head out on the campaign trail and cover it and maybe you and I will meet in person and we can discuss in private what is mean, what isn't mean, what is rude, what is not rude. So that concludes the Santorum rant that everyone expected from me this week. It's Tuesday. Tonight they vote in New Hampshire. We'll know if Rick was able to carry his big mo forward. In the meantime, however, let's get to some of your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 30-year-old woman from somewhere, and my issue is that I have a boyfriend that I really adore and I love so much. Um, We are really perfect for each other in every way. We've been together for about a year and a half. Um, the issue is, is that I'm a sex worker. I've been a sex worker now for about five or six years. It started with exotic dancing and moved on to erotic massage. And that's kind of where it stayed. Not that there's a linear progression to sex work, but that's just um, my line of work. I really love what I do. I feel great about it. I'm proud of it. Um, I'm not only a sex worker, I'm an advocate. And I work with a lot of women. I work with activist groups. I write sex worker, you know, sex positive things. So it's really... a about a lot more than just making money to me. It's something that I'm really proud of, seriously proud of. And um, my boyfriend has suddenly, after six months, well, we've been together for a year and a half, but after six months, he kind of started taking an issue with it. And he had not had an issue before. He knew what I did. Um, I fly away from the city that we live in, and I work in another city. And I only work, like, every two months and for about two weeks at a time. And then I'm able to make enough money to live to live on and come back and then for that, you know, two months that I'm not working, everything's great. And then when I go to work, things kind of fall apart for us. And recently he's told me that I can't go to work and that he doesn't abuse me if I do. So I'm really panicking because on one hand, I don't want to lose him. I love him so much and things are so great. But on the other hand, I feel that this is asking too much of me. It's compromising a lot of my values and things that I care about. And it also seems very just controlling and kind of jealous. And that's, I guess that's his core issue is he just says he doesn't really know. He just feels really uncomfortable with it and the thought of me being with these men in any kind of way, although I've explained to him and I'll tell you that I absolutely feel no arousal towards men when I work. It's just something that I, my brain doesn't go there when I work. It's a boundary that's been firmly set. I'm completely business. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't cater to the fantasy really well and do my job and provide a great experience for my clients, but as far as being turned on or attracted to clients. It's never happened once. So there's just a lot of trust issues going on, and it really hurts my feelings. And it's bringing a lot of shame into my life that I'm absolutely against in every way, feeling and dealing with. But, you know, I really love him. I want want to be with him. So my question is, I guess, um, what do I do? You're at an impasse. He's saying that you can have him or you can have your career, but you can't have both can't have him and continue uh, to do sex work. You seem pretty adamant about wanting to continue to do sex work. You also seem pretty adamant about not wanting to lose him. So you have to decide whether you're going to risk responding to his ultimatum with an ultimatum of your own. He says you can have me or your line of work and you have to respond with you can have me or you can get the fuck over it. But uh, you can't have me and insist that I give this up because I'm not going to give it up. It could be the end of this relationship and there's really not a lot I can say beyond that. This very well could be the end of this relationship. You're being given an ultimatum by this guy who you love, uh, you say you love and you don't want to lose and is sacrificing your career, is putting it into sex work, is finding something else to do for money, uh, the price of admission for you. Is that a price of admission that you're willing to pay to be with him? If it is, pay it. If it isn't, refuse to pay it and then he can decide whether 
being with you is worth paying the price of mission of getting the fuck over his hang up about what it is that you do for a living. And he always knew that you did for a living. Wish I could provide you with more comfort. Hi, Dan. This is Brian from Colorado, a longtime listener, first time caller. And I had a quick question about my girlfriend. A couple weeks ago, she had a dream where she got fucked by a guy with five dicks. Uh, she was fucked double vaginal, double anal, or DVDA for short, uh, while the other dick was supposedly just flopping around. Uh, she admitted to enjoying the dream and woke up having an orgasm. I have two real main questions. The first uh, is I try to look up how common this type of thing is, where a woman has an orgasm while dreaming, and most of the stuff is about male wet dreams. So any information about how common this is or information about how it works would be great to hear about. Also, I really want to know if this dream is my girlfriend's subconscious trying to tell us that she wants to get gang-banged. Uh, even though it was only one guy in the dream, it's multiple dicks, and I don't really know exactly what that means. Uh, we've discussed it openly, and even though the thought kind of gets her excited, she's not really sure that she could actually get gang-banged. Uh, any recommendations, information, or advice would be greatly appreciated. Uh, thanks, Dan. We love everything you do. I assume you're calling... Uh... In part because you're interested in getting your girlfriend gangbanged, that you're not just an impartial outside observer to this phenomena, uh, but that you have an interest in perhaps pursuing this. Uh, in which case, I would advise you to stop referring to it as getting gangbanged and start referring to it as her being the center of attention, perhaps, as opposed to a pincushion stuck full of dicks. There isn't a lot of information out there about, about women having wet dreams. Women certainly do have erotic dreams. Um, I think it is less common or perhaps less studied, uh, but there's not a lot of info about it out there. Uh, just because you dreamt about something and your body responded during this dream state uh, to, to this arousal, it doesn't mean that you're signing on the dotted line and this is something you absolutely positively want to have happen to you. People sometimes have weird and mystifying Sex dreams where they're having sex with the Queen of England under a bridge uh, with a goat and it doesn't mean anything uh, and their body because that part of their brain is snapping too responds to these crossed wired erotic images and uh, you know tape loops that are playing in their head briefly. It doesn't have to mean anything. Uh, coincidentally enough, it can mean something. You can actually have a dream about something that does arouse you. Uh, that could very well be the case here. But I don't think having uh, a dream about somebody with multiple dicks necessarily means that your girlfriend is interested in getting stuck full of dicks uh, by multiple guys. That might be something she's interested in, coincidentally enough, concurrently with the experience of this dream. Uh, this dream sounds like it's uh, instigated a conversation about whether or not that's something she wants to experience. I would urge you to continue to have that conversation. Some people have fantasies that they never want to have fulfilled. This could be the case with your girlfriend where she sometimes fantasizes about being with three or four or five guys at once, but that's nothing she ever wants to experience in real time because it could never live up to her fantasies. Because uh, all of those guys would each have one dick apiece instead of five dicks apiece. But keep talking. Keep talking. But when you talk about it, don't say gangbanged. Say center of attention. And uh, she's likelier to come around if that's what you're trying to weasel out of her. Hi, Dan. My wife and I are newlyweds of about six months. We've been together for quite a while now, uh, two years. We decided to try a little experiments in our relationship where we, we uh, saw some other people. And I found a little girl, and she found a little boy, and we had some fun. And, um, of course, my fling sort of fizzled out faster uh, in a matter of maybe two months or something, and uh, hers carried on for quite a while. Um, and then being very open with one another, always having the clause that, that no matter what happens, in their pertinent information in their arrangement, their relationship that, um, uh, you know, there weren't really, there aren't really supposed to be any secrets between the two of us. Uh, it's just an understanding. It's kind of the way we live. And, um, she told me that he, he dropped the L bomb, you know, told her that he loved her, um, convinced her to run away with him and leave me. And that's not what she wanted to do, but she also didn't, I don't think, want to break it off with him. So in my discomfort, I spent a lot of time thinking and listening to old Savage Love podcasts, uh, and uh, I rescinded my 
permission slip um, and, and, and without forcibly uh, putting my foot down and saying, no, you can't do this. I, I tried to do it very respectfully and I made it a request and said, look, for my health and for my heart, I need, I need this to stop. That doesn't mean that our relationship will stay closed forever, but I needed it to stop with this guy, with this boyfriend of hers. And um, what I'm wondering is, did I do the right thing? I don't want her to, to resent that in the future. Your call reminds me of Bob Dole <laughs> dating myself with this reference. Bob Dole was a senator and was candidate for president. GOP nominated him in 1996. He lost to Bill Clinton. Uh, but Bob Dole once famously observed that a liberal is a man who won't take his own side in an argument. You, sir, are a liberal. Uh, look, you did the right thing. This guy didn't respect the boundaries. He didn't respect the arrangement that made it possible for him to fuck your wife in the first place and set about undermining and sabotaging her primary relationship, her marriage. He didn't respect her marriage. He didn't respect your role, your, your place in her life. Uh, and he wasn't down with his subordinate position, which is what it is. I know that some folks in polyland or open land like to pretend that everybody's equal and love is love. But for most people who get involved in open relationships, uh, for most of the monogamish out there, there is one primary relationship. And th those two people have to treat each other as their mutual top priorities. And any extracurricular activities, extracurricular relationships are just that. And they are also shit cannibal if the third, the special guest star, um, Oversteps clear and defined boundaries like this is my husband. You are my boyfriend or piece on the side or the guy I fuck around with or whatever. For that guy to turn around and say to your wife, I want you for myself. I want you to leave your husband. Choose me. If you're your wife's first priority, she should have been anxious to dump him. She wasn't anxious to dump him. She was probably – Wanted to be accommodating, wanted everything to work out, wanted to make everybody happy, wanted to make sure that you knew that she that you were still her top priority. But these are the things he was saying, and you were right to say no, 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 no. This is over the short term going to get more and more destructive, more and more emotional drama and fireworks as he tries to undermine and sabotage our marriage. You were right to call this thing fucking off and rescind your permission slip. Absolutely, one hundred percent correct, and you should stop hemming and hawing about it and stop feeling so much self-doubt uh, and self-recrimination about it. You did absolutely the right thing uh, as I hope your wife recognizes and as I hope that douchebag comes to recognize. You know, People have responsibilities to each other. You and your wife have a responsibility to each other. You have a responsibility to your marriage, which is something that I believe is greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, you have a, and people who are in open relationships – uh, they don't just have a responsibility to each other. They have a responsibility to the people they fuck around with, not to mislead them, not to lead them on, not to promise them more than they can deliver or more that is on the table. Um, and the people who fuck around with people who are in open relationships, particularly people who are in open marriages, they also have a responsibility to go in knowing what the limitations are and, and not to go in like a bull in a china shop and start throwing the L word around. And it's fine. I believe people can be in, in love with more than one person at one time. That's fine. To, to, to feel that way, to even say that I love you, uh, but to go in there and start really monkey-wrenching that relationship and the agreement that was hammered out that made it possible for you to be a part of it by saying, run away with me, leave your husband for me, I want to be your one and only, uh, is colossally disrespectful uh, and an asshole move. And so what you cut out of your life by and your wife's life by rescinding that permission slip was an asshole who didn't respect you her, your marriage, your agreement around openness, his role in your life, and you, you did absolutely the right thing. Stop hemming and hawing. Stop doubting yourself. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Jan. My name is David, and I wanted to ask if what I'm doing is weird. Okay, so I'm really pretty. 
I have a kind of feminine face, so that's not conceited. I mean, like, I have a feminine face. That's what I mean by pretty. And I go on websites like Chat Roulette, and I dress up as a woman and kind of fool guys into thinking I'm a woman, and then they, like, masturbate for me. Um, and I don't know if that's, like, wrong to do. Um, and then the second part is that they're all kind of young. They're kind of younger than I am, and I'm 22, and they're, you know, like 16, um, usually the the ones that I want to do that for me. So I, I just don't know if that's, like, a bad thing to do. So if you could give me some kind of, like, moral guidance along those lines, it would be great. Thank you. It's not so much moral guidance I want to give you as legal advice. Uh, they may claim to be 16. They may appear to be 16. They may actually be 16. But depending on where you are, where they are, what you're doing could be colossally illegal. could be interpreted as child rape, child molestation, as the production of online internet, child, you'll be labeled internet predator, child pornography, la, la, la. You could go to jail. So please stop going online and asking people who appear to be teenagers to beat off for you because – as I think everyone should have learned watching To Catch a Predator, some of those people online looking for adults who'll ask them to do shit for them are not teenagers. They are law enforcement. What you're doing is insanely risky. Uh, I would – if you must continue to do this and you know people are going to beat off and people certainly on Chat Roulette are going to beat off. I think that's all that goes on at Chat Roulette. I think that's all that ever went on at Chat Roulette. And teenager – teenage boys are going to jerk off. Uh, I would I would ask you to ask them to hold a driver's license up to the screen and prove that they're at least 18 years old. Um, just as you are 22 and appear to be feminine, you can find guys online who are 18 to 30 who appear to be uh, in your preferred age range. But you are really risking it doing what you're doing. I don't think you're harming the exhibitionists who are on chat roulette because they want to show off. I think that 16-year-old boys, 17-year-old boys, 18-year-old boys are going to jerk off whether or not uh, a feminine-looking gay man is encouraging them to jerk off. Uh, so you're not creating more demand <laughs> or more supply than already exists, uh, but you're creating a lot of risk for yourself. As for the deception that you are presenting as a woman, allowing them to believe that you're a woman and jerk off for you, you know when it comes to the internet, when it comes to Craigslist, when it comes to chat roulette, it really is uh, a jerker's beware environment. Uh, as the famous New Yorker cartoon put it online, nobody knows you're a dog. Uh, there are a lot of people online who are spinning out basically fantasy roles for themselves and interacting with others. Um, I don't think it's right to mislead people. I do know that there are plenty of guys out there of all ages who would get off on jerking off for a guy, a feminine guy uh, in drag. And I think you could be out about who you are and you'd still find what it is that you're after. And uh, in this case, I think honesty is the best policy. But again, people are going to beat off on chat roulette and people don't seem too discriminating about exactly who is watching. So do what you like. Do it with people who are old enough for it to be legal and uh, I encourage you to be honest about who and what you are and you'll be pleasantly surprised. You'll still draw guys. Hi, Dan. I'm a late 20s queer woman and I've been in a relationship with an STM guy for uh, almost three years and um, when we first got together, we had lots of really hot BDSM sex and at this point, we have sex about once a month. This is not okay with me. Uh, I sexually started to go to shit about a year ago, at which point his explanation was that he was getting triggered by flashbacks of being molested as a kid. And I definitely believe him, and I was totally up for supporting his healing process, but he doesn't want to go to therapy. And he says his therapy experiences from childhood were too traumatizing. So we've been going to couples counseling for the past eight months. It's helped us communicate better, but we still fight a lot and we don't have sex. Um, about six months ago, we became poly, and I've had other partners who have met my needs sexually, but I still want to have sex with my boyfriend. At this point, he says that we're too close, so having trying to have sex brings up his intimacy issues. Um, and I guess this makes sense since he was sexually abused by a family member. 
And I know it's normal for sex to drop off in a long-term relationship, but how much should I put up with? Like on the one hand, I love him, and I've invested a lot in our relationship, and I don't want to give up on him just because of his fucked up sexual history and his childhood. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm the mom of a teenager. <laughs> like I've supported him emotionally through his transition, and um, he criticizes me a lot, takes out his anger on me, and um, doesn't fuck me. And when he does, it's really not like it used to be. Um, kind of half-hearted and kind of vanilla. So should I be more patient because he's transitioning, he has body image issues because he's a sexual abuse survivor and he has triggers and flashbacks and or because it's just normal to not have as much sex in a relationship after three years? Or should I kind of say this is, you know, this is a deal breaker, this is an ultimatum, you need to get your ass into therapy or I'm leaving. So you asked me to discuss the intersection of trans and the, the the stage of transitioning that your boyfriend is in and histories of sexual abuse and BDSM and I don't know enough about all of that to to map that you know that particular point uh, where, where your boyfriend is standing. What I do know is it doesn't sound like he's meeting your needs, and it doesn't sound like you're happy. Are you? In this relationship? Not really. Yeah, that's kind of what all my friends are telling me. Yeah, it's one thing, and it speaks well to your character, that you don't want to cut and run just because somebody hits a bump in the road, just because they're having, you know, a little bout of depression or they need some downtime or they're just, like, not in gear or they're going through a rough, you know, stage. Otherwise, everybody would get dumped, you know, when a parent died or they lost their job. You know, part of being in a relationship is helping someone out. But... Part of being in a relationship is being in decent enough mental and physical shape to be in a relationship at all. And it sounds like your boyfriend is really withdrawing for multiple reasons. And it could be that he wants out or out might be the best thing for him right now because then there wouldn't be this pressure and he wouldn't be standing around feeling like he's not meeting your needs, which may be why he's treating you poorly uh, and isn't being a very nice guy at the moment. Uh, because he senses that you're unhappy and that makes him feel even worse than he does already. And and you're unhappy and he's on the, the hook for that because he's your boyfriend and he's supposed to be meeting these needs and right now he can't. But if he wasn't your boyfriend and he was your friend, then there wouldn't be these unmet needs that he felt guilty about, that you felt resentful about. So it might be the best thing for where he's at right now in his transition and you know in therapy and everything else for you two to just be friends. Mm-hmm. And relieve him of that expect those expectations, those duties, and for you to get your needs met elsewhere. Yeah, it's so harsh. I didn't really want to hear it, but coming from you, it's kind of helpful. You know, how, how long has this been going on? How long have you guys been off the rails sexually? How long has he been in recovery about this recovered memory? And there's a lot of new writing about that that says that that's problematic, but go ahead. Oh, he was never, it was never a recovered memory. It's always, I've always known about it for okay, our whole good. relationship. Yeah. Good. I mean, well, but not good. It, good, yeah. good. Good would be nobody's ever sexually abused as a child. That would be good. But yeah. that it's not some suddenly recovered, likely BS no, memory no. is a comfort. So, But no. how long has this been derailing your sort of sexual connection? I'd say a year. A year's a long time to stick it out. Yeah, that's what I've been starting to think. And what does he say when you talk to him about it, when you broach the subject? He's like, I just need more time. I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, yeah, just I don't know. I'm not ready to face this. Part of the reason why you hesitate and a lot of people in your position hesitate is that you know, due to the sex negativity that sloshes around in our culture uh, and we're swimming in it so much so that we hardly realize it, is it the people in your position feel like they're the bad guy if they leave because all, they, all they're missing in this relationship is sex and you shouldn't even think about sex, right? Exactly. That, that, yeah, that's, that's what I've been struggling with. Yeah, that's not a legitimate reason to leave the person who part of their role in your life is to meet your needs sexually and they don't and that's not a legitimate reason to, to leave somebody when they no longer are capable of or interested in or may never be again able to meet those needs, that is a legitimate reason to end a sexual relationship. It's not a legitimate reason to cut the person out of your life entirely. And you can't fault him, but you can go to him and say, you know, I've waited a year. It it may never come back. It would probably be the best thing for both of us right now to be single. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes back, if you're single again and I'm single again, let's not end ugly so that we obviously have a connection and had a connection and there may be a time in the future when we can reconnect. But right mm-hmm. now, you need to be single and work on all of these issues and I need to be single because I can't wait any longer. Yeah. And you shouldn't yeah. feel guilty about that. You have a right in a sexual relationship, in a romantic relationship. It's a reasonable expectation that, that your needs will be met. And a year is a long time to hang in there. And so I think you've done what could be expected of you in that year. That's helpful to hear because I've just been wondering, like, how long should I wait? So it's good to hear that a year is, like, already done a reasonable amount of time. I, I think you've waited about seven and a half even eight months longer than I would have waited. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. I appreciate your advice. Thank you. Good luck. And good luck to him too. And, you know, I'm rooting for you and I'm rooting for him. Yeah. And And you really do have to finesse this breakup where it's de-escalating a conflict. It's it's releasing him from obligations that that are putting pressure on him and making him feel terrible and releasing yourself from – you know, these sex negative expectations that you're supposed to hang in there forever, even if uh, at the price of never having sex ever again in your life. Yeah. Because sex isn't important and somebody who wants sex is a bad person. You yeah, to, yeah, that's exactly what's coming up. You yeah. have to let that go. You have to let that go. Compassionately let him down, let him off the hook, be there for him, stay friends, offer your love and support, but you need to be released from the relationship. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Hi, Dan. Quick question for you about semen in the eye. Um, My boyfriend came on my face last night for the first time, and uh, I wanted to do it. He wanted to do it so I would be hot. Um, I closed my eyes when he did it, and when it was over, he took some tissue and very gently wiped the cum away from my face, and then I went and... Uh, washed my face, and about five or ten minutes later, my eyes started burning like crazy. And even though, to my knowledge, no semen had gotten directly into my eyes, um, it hurt like nothing. And for at least the next hour or two, well into falling asleep later, I was in a lot of pain. And you know, I rinsed my eyes, I put saline in my eyes, I did everything I could, and it, it just burned like nothing I've ever felt before. Again, he he didn't squirt directly into my eye. It was on my face and it was washed off. But then somehow, I guess a little bit of it got in there. I just want to ask, is this normal? Um, And if so, how do people with facial fetishes handle it? Because um, to be honest, I'm not really up for doing this again anytime soon. And he totally understands and obviously doesn't want to hurt me. Um, if it's going to hurt like this every time, is there anything uh, that I can do to avoid this? Should I wear goggles? Um, should I uh, develop a, a more detailed cleaning method for washing out my eyes? Um, again, I think for the time being, there just aren't going to be any facials. But uh, if you know anything about um, how to prevent uh, burning or, or pain when someone comes on your face, I would appreciate any input. Thanks a lot. Bye. <laughs> doctor, doctor, it hurts when I go like this. Don't go like that. Uh, it hurts when you get cum in your eye. Don't get cum in your eye. Yeah, it burns. Semen is very acidic uh, and it fucking hurts when it gets in your eye. The, the trick to a facial is to either have long eyelashes and a good semen um, wipe technique, which is down and away from the eyes, not up and into the eyes, or to make sure that uh, come facial time, the dick is angled in such a way that it hits uh, – the nose and below uh, and not uh, the nose and above. I would, uh, in your shoes, perhaps, um, if you're really worried about it, limit him to pearl necklaces in the future as opposed to uh, full-on facials. I can understand why you would be gun-shy after that experience. I believe, you know, flipping back through the mists of time that perhaps I was gun-shy the first time uh, I got splattered in the eye. Uh, but then you're just ca- careful in the future. You're careful to clamp your eyes shut. You're careful to uh, have a towel uh, handy so that you can do a wipe that removes most of it. Uh, good luck. Hey, Dan. I am a 31-year-old straight identified female, and I'm getting married in July. 
This man is wonderful, and we have a very compatible sex life. I am, I guess, what you could call bisexual in the bedroom, but nowhere else. I am physically attracted to women, probably as much as my fiancé is. Once he and I were together for a few years, we became very secure with each other, and we started having threesomes. Come to find, we both enjoy them very much. We have even had a couple of them that included another male instead of female, which is his kink, not mine, but I was game and we still had fun. Anyway, here's my problem. All of these very specific details were documented in my email account as a result of back and forth correspondence with different prospects, I guess you could say, and as an act of retaliation, from a sep- for, for a separate matter, my sister hacked into my email account and forwarded 19 of these very detailed emails of mine to everyone in my contact list. This included my brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins, co-workers, friends, etc., etc. Several of these people have now contacted me, many wanting me to explain myself, and others have even stopped talking to me because of this. My mom in particular says that she doesn't want to know anything at all, but regardless, advised me to deny everything and claim that it was all made up. Other family members have told me to own it, and I guess I'm not even sure what that quite means. My question for you is, is it anyone's business what actually goes on in our bedroom if it includes a member of the opposite sex. As far as everyone is concerned, I am only into men. I would never date or have a serious relationship with a woman. I just happen to really be attracted to women and enjoy watching my fiancé have sex with them. And I also really like that he enjoys watching me with a woman, and he loves that I'm okay with him fucking her too. Either way, is it anyone else's business? Do you think I should deny this to the family or own it? I've never considered coming out to anyone per se, but, I mean, this is simply a sexual thing, so it never occurred to me to do that. But after listening to your podcast, I've been reconsidering my thoughts on this. My sister has not only tried to humiliate us with forwarding all of these emails, but she is now telling others that we are freaks and our lifestyle is reckless and dangerous. Um, We should not be getting married, and she is also attempting to convince others to not attend our wedding because of this. This is very frustrating and hurtful for me because I actually feel like my fiancé and I are very lucky having found each other and having this in common. At this point, I'm not sure if quote-unquote owning this will cause more damage than good. You keep repeating the phrase, is it anyone's business, what we do in bed. No, it's not. It's not anybody's business. However, you guys are not monogamous and you are bisexual. Bisexual in a way that a lot of people who are bisexual are bisexual in that you are attracted physically, sexually, to members of your own sex. You can have sex with them. You're not attracted to them romantically. You, you don't have relationships with women. You dig fucking them. You have relationships with men. Your romantic attachments are to men. This is a common kind of bisexuality and I will be called a biphobic bigot for bringing it up. But there are a lot of you out there. When you say, is it anyone's business, what you, what you mean is I really shouldn't have to tell anybody about this because I can keep it hidden. Because no one's ever going to know that I'm bisexual because I don't have relationships with women. And relationships have a public dimension. You know, There's sex that happens in private and then there's being intimate together. There, there, there's having a connection. There's sharing an apartment. There's living together. There's going to family, you know, going to Christmas, bringing this person home for the holidays. There's getting married. All of that is public. So when you say – is it anyone's business? What you mean is I really shouldn't have to tell anybody about this because there's no way anybody would ever really find out about this unless my cunt – pardon me – unless my sister hadn't told them. Well, now they know. So you can't hide it anymore. It's out there. You can do what your mother's asked, which is 
you know, hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays virtue. You can lie. You can claim that you're clearly vicious, malicious, cunt of a sister. I, I believe I'm entitled to use that word at this time. Um, made these emails up. Somebody who bears you such ill will is capable of anything. And you could go to your relatives and stand there with butter in your mouth, with prove that it won't melt and say none of that has actually ever happened and she wrote those and then sent them from my email account because she's a malicious nutbag. You can play that game. And the reason you would have to play that game is because of the stigma that's associated with being not monogamous, the stigma that's associated with being bisexual. And in playing that game, you are reinforcing that stigma. You are making sure that the day at which this would be a non-issue for your family members, uh, for other people who are in similar circumstances for their family members, that that day is pushed further off into the future. So I would encourage you to say to your family members, we are committed to one another. We are in love. We are getting married. We're not monogamous and we have kind of a sexually adventurous love life that we were keeping private that we weren't rubbing in anyone's noses. We probably knew that some of you would have a problem with it. So we were being discreet and our privacy was violated by my sister's actions. And now you know things that you would prefer not to know and you know things that I would prefer that you not know. But now you know them. Not monogamous, in love, getting married. Not the only ones. And fuck off. If you don't want to come to my wedding, fuck you. Then I'm uh, never coming to your wedding and I'm not coming to Christmas and anything else and you can just stand your ground. That is what I would encourage you to do. It is too late to say uh, it shouldn't be anybody's business when what you mean there is I should be able to keep this hidden because I'm never going to have a relationship with a woman. Therefore, there's no public dimension to my bisexuality. I could keep it secret. Well, you can't keep it secret anymore. Secret's out. All you can do is tell a lie that everyone will know is a lie or tell the truth. And then build a wall. Tell the truth and say, and this is private and I'm never going to discuss it ever again. I would send an email to everyone that your sister sent an email to saying, this is who we are. This is what happened. This is what my sister did. I am not discussing this ever again. And if people don't come to your wedding, who gives a fuck? Do you want those people at your wedding? No. And then you're relieved from the obligation of ever having to go to any of their fucking weddings or children's christenings or funerals or anything else. It's just like people whose family members stumble over evidence of their kinks. I've talked at great length many times about how you present your kink to a, to a partner. You don't present it like it's leukemia. You don't go to them and say, oh, my God, I have cancer. You go to them like, this is just a fact about me. This is what we get to do. This is what you get to do if you're with me. Ain't that a perk? Ain't that a bonus? Not cancer, right? Same with your family members. If I know people whose parents have stumbled over their secret sex dungeon, right? They're like, oh my God, what do we do? It's like you say to them, we're kinky. So what? Do you want to talk about it? Your parents will say, no, we don't want to talk about it. It's like, all right, great. Let's not talk about it. Go to your family. Say, we're not monogamous. We kind of have uh, a sexually adventurous life. We're safe. We're in love. We're getting married. We're not the only ones out there. The end. Now you know. But don't present it like it's leukemia. Don't apologize. Don't scrape. Don't beg. Don't wring your hands. You've done nothing wrong. And it's none of their business. And you were keeping it private until your bitch-o sister came along and forwarded all those emails. You know, forever gay people were told that uh, our love wasn't real. Gay relationships don't last. The world had created a system where gay people were marginalized, terrorized, imprisoned. Uh, and then in that pressure cooker, uh, our relationships didn't thrive uh, under that kind of pressure basically. Uh, and so our relationships were tended to be fleeting and unstable. But gay love was real. I and mean, then every once in a while, you, all these people who were running around insisting gay love wasn't real, gay people couldn't commit, gay relationships never could last – would find out about or meet a couple of gay people who'd been together 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years and they would have to concede, well, in this case, I guess there was something there, right? Non-monogamous straight couples often are fighting under the same kind of assumptions and stigma and pressures. 
And it's only, you know, in five or ten years. If you guys are still together, still happy in five or ten years, your, your relatives may have to eat some crow and concede, well, I guess they have a decent and solid marriage despite uh, the fact that they are not monogamous. Just like so many people in the past have had to concede that two men or two women could have a decent and solid, loving and lasting relationship despite the fact that they were gay. So time is on your side. This is true love, lasting love if you guys are together for a very long time. And this will burn off. And by being open about it and then drawing that wall, you can help change the world for other same-sex couples like yourselves who are similarly situated sexually, <laughs> who are not monogamous, who are bi. Uh, and I would encourage you to do just that. Hi, I'm just calling in regards to uh, the caller who's having trouble with his parents accepting him. Um, I just want to say, man, uh, that's rough. And if you, if, if I had your address, I'd have a Christmas present on your way. And if you lived in Michigan, I'd deliver it myself. But um, I just want you to know, uh, there's people out there who are pretty cool, and there's people out there who are going to support you. And uh, keep on keeping on, man. I hope it turns out okay. Hey, Dan, I'm calling about episode 270, where you followed up with the gay kid who's spending his first Christmas alone after coming out to his conservative Christian parents. I agree with everything you said. Um, I listened to it on the way to work. The call made me cry for what he's going through, but it also made me feel so glad to have the parents I do who accepted my being gay from the get-go. I'm one of five kids, and they've never treated me or my partner any differently than they treat my straight sibling spouses. Maybe I'm just saying that those of us who got really lucky should drop a love bomb on our own families for being so cool. Um, that's it. Happy New Year, everyone. Hi, Dan. This is Mark in California, and you're exactly right. You pretty much got to hurl, hurl love bombs, and uh, they will eventually come around. You know, something that my... Uh, my wife said to me uh, is that you, know, you can train dogs, you can train cats, you can train large beetles uh, to eventually behave the way you want them to. If you can train a dog or a cat or even a larger beetle, uh, you can definitely train parents. So this podcast was recorded the day after the Iowa caucuses when Santorum surged from behind in Iowa. Santorum always surges from behind. Where else would it surge from? Uh, and it is being released in, into the wild on the day of uh, the primary in New Hampshire. But it, so, so I don't know what the fuck happened in New Hampshire tonight. You know better. You all of you there in the future listening to the show. But if you want to follow me in real time, if you want to know what I'm thinking and saying and doing, uh, and the comments I have to make about the uh, Republican primaries in real time, you should follow me on Twitter at fake Dan Savage on Twitter. And I Twittered this shit out of the caucuses, and I will be probably Twittering this shit out of the New Hampshire primaries, because I find this stuff fucking fascinating. Whether Santorum is surging or not, I find it fascinating. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or call for a future show, give us a buzz. You can follow me at Fake Dan Savage on Twitter. And if you have a comment about a show and you want to make sure it uh, gets attached to the show, go to thestranger.com slash lovecast, where every show has its own comments thread. Thanks so much for listening. 206-201-2720. That's the number. Me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We're back at you next week. Another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.